electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hi, I'm Brian Sullivan, and tonight, President Biden riding to the rescue of ESG investing in his first veto of the administration. The godfather of the anti-ESG movement, Vivek Ramaswamy, will be here to respond. Plus, Steve Eisman of the big short fame will tell you if the worst may still be ahead or behind us in the bank crisis. And lawmakers are demanding a federal investigation into Goldman Sachs and its role in Silicon Valley Bank's collapse. And Adam Schiff, the congressman leading the charge, will join us live to make his case. That and much more. So belly up or buckle up. Last call is up right now. All right, well, good evening here. Good afternoon out west. And by the way, happy first day of spring, everybody. It officially hit at 524 p.m. Eastern time. I am Brian Sullivan. All right, we got a lot to do tonight. First up, though, the market acting like it was the start of a new season for the banks today. Stocks pop with more than half of all bank stocks actually going up. See the major averages? The Dow up more than 1%. But it was not all good news. Nearly 30 financials did lose investors more money today. Citigroup, Schwab, Wells Fargo, all down. But none of them were like First Republic. The troubled bank tanked by nearly half again today. It is now down 90% this month. And clearly the street remains worried. This even after a nearly unlimited depositor backstop put into place last Sunday night and a plan for a bunch of banks to put $30 billion into First Republic. Customers, though, Apparently haven't cared. They've taken $70 billion out of FRC since the California-based Silicon Valley Bank also went under. Also happening today, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon reportedly leading the charge to try to finally rescue San Francisco-based First Republic, which could include his and other banks actually investing in First Republic, not just transferring deposits around. Now, if First Republic ends up going under, it's a big if, because we know it is possible that the bank ultimately does survive. Know that. But if it did, it would mean that three of the four big banks that failed were all based in California and had the same regulators, the San Francisco Federal Reserve and the California Department of Financial Protection and Innovation. Let's talk more about all this and all the other big bank and big money headlines sloshing around on this Monday night. And welcome in. Wall Street Journal reporter Ben Eisen, he helped break the J.P. Morgan news today. And Financial Times banking correspondent Stephen Gandell, who has also done excellent reporting on this. Uh, thank you both for joining us. First, Ben, to you, what's the headline going to be tomorrow around First Republic? Is this deal going to get done to, quote unquote, save the bank? You know, it, it, it remains to be seen what's going to happen. Uh, the headline seems to change uh, pretty much every day, uh, multiple times a day here around First Republic. But what you're really seeing is um, uh, uh, Jamie Dimon and some of the big banks really trying to draw a line in the sand here and, um, you know, 
put put up say we're not going to let first republic fail here this is this is a bank world there's a lot of focus right now and it's a it's a bank where if the financial system uh if there are weaknesses in the financial system they are sh- sort of showing up here so this is this is this is kind of an attempt to infuse some stability into the system at large by really taking a look at yeah. at, at this bank that's under pressure right now Stephen, um Eight nights ago, Sunday night, we did a live special. That's when the government announced basically an unlimited deposit guarantee for a number of banks, including First Republic. We had news last week. I think you might have even broken that along with Ben, that basically J.P. Morgan and others were going to put $30 billion into FRC, not in the company, but as a deposit backstop as well. In your reporting, have anybody you've spoken with on or off the record said to you, why isn't these things, or, or you ask them, why aren't those measures working to shore up confidence? The stock fell by 47% again today. I, I mean, everyone said from the very beginning, and I'm not sure we broke that story, but thank you. Uh, the, um, everyone said today, uh, said at the time, and is saying today, and saying over the weekend, that this is a... This is a, a novel kind of approach, right? I mean, when you put money deposits into a bank, the bank then owes people more money, right? So you haven't necessarily improved the financial situation of the bank, but you have uh, um, given it some liquidity, right? And it's not that different from all the banks let, borrowing right now from the, the Federal Home Loan Bank, which they've been doing you know, to a com- tremendous extent. But what would really save the bank is, is putting money in. The thing that, from my, what I understand from my reporting, is that there's not a lot of interest to buy this bank or, or take even a piece of it. Jamie Dimon really wants a, a deal done. The big banks really, as you said, want to draw a line in the sand. They don't want uh, First Republic to fail. But outside of Chase, I'm not sure people want to own this bank. Why not, Stephen? I mean, First Republic, for our, it's a California-based bank. This had been until, gosh, what, a week or two ago? I think arguably one of the biggest regionals and one of maybe the most respected regional banks with a lot of high net worth clients, family office type business, et cetera, Stephen. Why doesn't somebody want this? Well, well, so I think, and, and I have no reporting to tell you a deal is eminent, but I think Jamie Dimon really wants it. But I think the other large banks feel like they have a significant private wealth uh, and, and, and successful private wealth footprint. They're not sure they want to add to it. And then just remember what the issue was that got us started here. The issue that we got, got us started here was excess deposits and banks not knowing what to do with it, right? Yeah. And so the money flows into treasuries and you lose money. You take over First Republic, you, you've got more excess deposits. So you're going to have to deal with that Although, problem even more than they have. Right so, uh, well, Ben, to be fair, $70 billion less because that's the number that has come <laughs> out well, of yeah. First Republic. And the one thing, listen, here's the thing about Wall Street. Okay, I've been doing this 25 years. I've been through what? It's my third sort of semi-banking crisis, I guess, including obviously financial crisis. One thing about banks, it all comes down to one thing. It all comes down to trust. It's about money to a point, but trust is everything. If your house is on fire and people are sitting around arguing, well, we're, we're making a deal for the hoses. We got water on the way. And you're not sure it's going to fit. You're going to run in and get your photo albums and some other things out of there. And the key question here, how does First Republic regain the public's trust? That's it. 
Yeah, I think it's an important question what happens there. Um, but clearly, the, the, there has been somewhat of a lack of trust uh, uh, that's sort of come along here because you you did have that $70 billion of outflows in deposits. And that's, that's I believe, something like 40% of their total deposits. Um, so, so you have people running for the exits a little bit. Um, now, that does seem to have stabilized at least at the end of uh, last week. Um, so maybe you do start to see that, but, yeah. you know, one of the first steps here is clearly having, uh, 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 these banks, these, these, these respective large financial institutions stand behind, um, uh, first Republic yeah. and say, you know, we're not going to let this bank fail. Um, but, but to your point, yes, I mean, it's not clear that that's working at this point in time. First Republic yeah. stock down 40 and I'm just I'm just a I'm just a humble TV host who, whose brain is basically like a pigeon. I've got a three second attention span. So maybe somebody will do some deep dives into why most of these are occurring in California. I would challenge Ben or Stephen, either one to do to do that. Get on a flight to San Francisco. Guys, great reporting. Thank you very much. All right. Well, your next guest knows a thing or two about banking crises. Joining us now for a last call exclusive is Newberger Berman senior fund manager Steve Eisman. If you read the book, The Big Short, you know who he is. And if you saw the movie, he was played by Stephen Carell. Zero! Zero! Steve, welcome. Um, the market was pretty calm today. Is, is, sure, love having you on. Is this over? I mean, first of all, let me, let me uh, take a step back for a second. Um, you know, people use throw the word crisis around all the time here. This is not nobody more level. so than the media. I admit it. We love that yes. word. We love that word. You love the word, but this is not even close to the same magnitude of 2008. Not even close. You know, back then you were dealing with the largest banks in the country. And if they had failed, the economy would have crashed. This is a situation that is really confined to a bunch of regional banks who have very concentrated deposit relationships that are mostly above the $250,000 limit. And they've made some very bad bets on, on treasuries where they have big losses. That's the story. You know, Do I think this is going to spread to every regional bank in the country? I really don't. I think it's going to be concentrated in these banks that have the same type of characteristics or similar type of characteristics as Silicon Valley. I hear you. And, and I agree, having been deeply involved in covering 08, as early as 07, was that this is not that, okay? But but I've had some smart people, Steve, make the argument to me, it's not worse, we, we know that, but it is eerie, number one, two things, both occurred in a rising rate environment, but number two, how did this happen? This is still serious, not that level. How did it happen after 2010 when we've talked about this never happening again, at least at this level? even at this level? So uh, this hasn't been written about much, but when the stress test was done under Fed Governor Daniel Torullo, this was actually tested as far as I could tell. And after he left and President Trump appointed someone different, it was removed from the stress test, combined with the fact that the legislation was passed to raise the limit from, I believe it was $100 billion in assets to $250 billion in assets, and these banks were completely removed from the stress test. So they never were really stressed for this. That's part of the issue. Although we've talked to people, not just here, but on, on this network who've said, even if they did those stress tests, we gotta, get the, we gotta get the results first. 
if they did them, they likely would have passed, given that they were buying treasuries. They were buying mortgages. They weren't buying CLO squared or CDO squared or these synthetic things that you guys dealt well, yeah, with back talking, in, in 08. You're talking about credit. I, I, I think that, I mean, look, I'm not a regulator, and usually regulators always fight the last war. But it's possible that if they had looked at the bank, they would have asked themselves what happens if rates go up and they have massive loss, massive losses on a mark to market basis on their treasuries. That's possible. Um, you know, I'm not, in the, as Hamilton would say, I'm not in the room where it happens. So I'm not real. I don't know what the regulators were thinking, but whatever they were thinking, they clearly missed it. Yeah. And, and part of the, the intrigue of the story of your real life story and Michael Burry's and Kyle Bass's and others and. You know, I was speaking to a number of you during that time, you know, before, during and after it happened, was you start to uncover basic things, right? You, you go to the uh, <clears throat> gentleman's club and realize that the, uh, some of the staff there, for lack of a better term, has five mortgages, all with zero money down. What we're learning here about Silicon Valley Bank, we learned the other day that apparently the regulator that was in charge of it was moved ironically, to Silvergate Capital at the end of last year. We learned today that in 2019, there were warnings about SVB. They warned the management about risk, and that was sort of summarily ignored. The chief risk officer of SVB left last year for and got $7 million mysteriously, but nobody knows why she left. I mean, there just seems to be a lot of sort of stink here. I mean, sure. I mean, you know, when things go down, there's always stink. You know, in retrospect, Silicon Valley was not a very well-run bank and was taking massive amounts of risk. You know, my point is only that whatever happens here, I mean, the fact that the federal government has now guaranteed all deposits in the system means a lot. Now, I think some of these Do we have the money to cover that, Steve? Even the U.S., even Uncle Sam. Do we have the oh, money to cover that? Without question. They, 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 these aren't big banks. It's not, that's not an issue. But What about know, the bond portfolios? Big... People have thrown around the $19 trillion number. Dick Bovee and others have said that. I don't know what he's talking about. These banks don't have $90 trillion, whatever, 19. whatever $19 trillion. It, it, That's nonsense. Um, it, look, like I said, these, this problem is confined to certain regional banks it's handleable. But the reason why these stocks are keep going down is that the guarantee by the federal government of the deposits is only for a year. And so, you know, corporations are saying to themselves, it's only for a year. I better move now. But like I said, I still think that it, it's, I mean, look, I don't want to say this is not a problem. Clearly it's a problem, but it's just not on anywhere the magnitude. I mean, put it this way, when JP Morgan goes down, Planet Earth burns. When First Republic, if it were to go down, it's a problem, but it's it's a handleable problem. It's it's a, just a completely different order of magnitude. 100%. And, and likely, hopefully, the knock-on effect will be far, far less. We'll see what happens, though, with consumer credit, Steve. Either way, love having you on the program. Fantastic, unique insight. Have a great night. Thank you very much. All right, up next, President Biden stamping down his first veto. It's on an ESG rule that he says, quote, risks your retirement. We'll talk about that with Vivek Ramaswamy coming up. Plus, the Democratic congressman demanding a federal investigation into Goldman Sachs over what he says may be profiteering over the implosion of Silicon Valley Bank. You watch the last call. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to Last Call. Today was a big day in the White House. The president handing down his first veto, and it could impact your retirement savings. Now, the actual rule that got vetoed is a bit complicated and a bit technical, but here's the very basic gist. Biden's veto overturned a GOP-led rule that would overturn itself a regulation allowing retirement fund managers to consider things like climate change or social governance in their investing decisions. In other words... The veto now allows fund managers to expressly take things other than just investment returns into their portfolio choices. Here is the president in a video today. I just signed this veto because the legislation passed by the Congress would put at risk the retirement savings of individuals across the country. All right. A risk to our retirement savings, although it's not exactly given clear how, especially given that the University of Chicago found that ESG funds exhibited no better performance than non-ESG funds and that setting ESG targets may actually distort decision-making by fund managers, leading to worse overall corporate governance because perhaps they just get, they just get lazy, let someone else do their work for them. Joining us on this hot-button issue is the man leading the charge against the ESG, and that is Vivek Ramaswamy, founder of Strive Asset Management and a Republican presidential candidate, and Martin Whitaker, the founder of Just Capital, an organization that ranks companies by how just they are. Uh, Vivek, I'll start with you. I, listen, it is complicated. It's sort of flipped upside down. But uh, respectfully to the White House, do you feel like in any way this veto or leaving it on or off has anything to do with protecting people's retirement savings? It does not. It has absolutely I, I, everything yeah, I, to I'm do. I'm trying to connect the dots and I can't figure it out. Well, let me help you with that. So here's the history on the rule. I'm just giving you some facts here. They first, the Department of Labor under Biden proposed this rule last summer. And at first they were nervous about this because this is really mixing business with politics. This is saying we can use retirement funds to advance agendas like fighting climate change. They were nervous about it. So at first in their draft rule, they had a disclosure requirement saying that you had to say this to retirees. But guess what? They got bolder over the course of last year. So by the end of the year, when the final Department of Labor rule passed, they dropped the disclosure requirement. And the reason why is they said that disclosing this to retirees would actually have a chilling effect. That's their words. Chilling effect on the use of ESG factors. What does that tell you? It tells you that they know that most retirees don't want to advance social agendas with their money, but they want to effectively hide that from those retirees so they can do it anyway. So I'm glad there was bipartisan consensus. That's important. Both Democrats and Republicans voted for a bill to negate this 
disastrous action from the Department of Labor. And nonetheless, Biden still vetoed it as his first veto, which tells you that this myth that ESG is really just about the free market is a lie. It's actually not the invisible hand of the free market. It's the invisible fist of government, Biden's invisible fist. That's what happened here. Now, now Martin, I will say it was bipartisan with a couple of votes. So technically it's accurate, but it's only Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin, sort of the centrists who, by the way, have have elections that that they want to win. Does it matter either way? I mean, I, I understand what Vivek is saying. I just don't know if the rule matters either way. And do you think it matters to people's retirement savings? Well, uh, Brian, thanks for having me on, Vivek. Good to see you again. I, I, I think uh, I look at this through a business and a markets lens, not through a political lens. So what, this, what, what ESG is all about is um, really just trying to get a handle on a, on a suite of environmental, social governance-related risks that may or may not be relevant to business and financial performance. And so to do that well, you need information, you need data, and you need information that is that has meaning that you can trust that you can have confidence in and so what this this rule does is is say to fiduciaries if you think these matters are relevant to investment decision making you should consider them that's it that's it but but again I'm just, exactly Martin, yeah and and so you look at that and you say okay what, can I ask a different question Martin why are we fighting why is this the stand to be made it, I mean, I hate to say it. It doesn't sound like that big a deal either way. I, I uh, Listen, I agree with you, Brian. I think we spend a lot of time at Just Capital polling the American people. We've done that for eight years. We go all around the country. And what I can tell you is most people don't really know what ESG means, first of all. But the underlying issues around pay, good jobs, strong communities, those are the things that matter to everyday Americans. And guess what? Those are, the, those are the things that drive business success today. Businesses are trying to figure out how do you manage a lot of these new and emerging risks. And so if they are business relevant and investment relevant, yeah, I want, I want money managers, I want fiduciaries, I want whoever's running my money to take those risks into account. And I don't see what that, why that's such a big deal. But Martin, with all due respect here, then you wouldn't need this rule change because if the prior rule said the only factor that retirement fund managers could take into account was investment return, then they would be taking those factors into account if they did have to do with investment return. But what this rule explicitly did is it explicitly allows them to take, their language, not mine, collateral benefits other than investment return into account. So in in bold-faced font, it tells you that it's something other than investment return driving this. And so I think this farce that this actually has to do with just advancing long run investment return. The way to call the bluff on that is just take these rule makers at their word. That's exactly what they were doing here. And they were going the further step of hiding it from retirees by even eliminating the requirement to disclose that fact to them. So this is about a slate of hand. It's about using the back door to advance these political agendas that most Americans do not support from racial equity audits and quota systems in the boardrooms to emissions caps, if you want to actually apply those policies, do it through Congress. Don't use people's retirement, hard-earned retirement dollars to do it. And that's not a left-wing or a right-wing point. It's just about the integrity of both capitalism and democracy. Martin? Look, I'm all for supplying the market with information. I agree with Vivek that if, if, if investors are taking ESG factors into account, they need to disclose that, absolutely. But this is, again, I come back to the business leaders and the investment managers that I talk to every day. 
there is a suite of emerging risk issues that relate to, let's say, climate risk. If you think climate change is, is any relevant to business performance, you know, now and into the future, you should be looking at that through, a, 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 you know, a risk lens. And ESG is there as a framework to trying to help you do that. There are many other risk issues which are emerging, which businesses are struggling to get a handle on. Um, how to retain, engage, and develop, you know, a, a supply of talent uh, for, for a company. So these are issues which are not well captured in traditional financial metrics, need, uh, uh, you know, should, investment managers who are prudent should be encouraged to look at that, yeah. try and get a handle on that, and then make a decision on the basis of that. And to me, that's just how you run, a, a, you know, a strong marketplace that is going to make American companies better, more competitive, and more competitive around the world as well. And, and I think we want those goals, but at the same time, Vivek, to your point, if somebody's think, I think this stock will make 10% a year for grandma's retirement, this stock will make 5%, but they've got a higher score, now they can go with the 5% versus the 10%, even though 10% is going to protect grandma's retirement. That's why I was confused, with, with respectfully confused by the, the risking your retirement comment that the president made. I, 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 was, I honestly cannot connect those dots. It's verbal jujitsu. It's designed to trick the American people for the same reason that they eliminated the disclosure requirement in the rule. It's the same reason they're confusing people when they're actually signing the veto. If it's really about returns, then let it be about returns. You wouldn't have had to change the rule. And it runs deeper. Here's a yeah. deeper risk, all right? A lot of data over the last year, ESG funds have underperformed, but the same people who promote ESG are actually ignoring purposefully other risks that don't have to do with the climate, yeah. say risks that have to do with China, for example. And so I think when you explicitly highlight certain factors like environmental or social factors, not only is that redundant, it has the effect of even distracting investors and diluting attention away from the risks that actually are staring you in the face, which isn't good for efficient markets, and it is not good for trust in our system. No retiree wants their dollars to be used to advance well, somebody else's I agenda. I don't think we- Yet that uh, is exactly- Vivek, you're gonna stick you, you around. Know, Mark, yeah, last you, final, you, quick, yeah, please. Know, ESG is not a panacea. You can do it well, you can do it badly, yeah. but it's all, at the end of the day, it's about return, and that's what Biden's talking about. That's well said, Martin. Good, Vivek, you're gonna stick around. Listen, Grandma, Invested in oil and gas last year. Grandma sit on a pile of cash. All right, coming up. Could a Trump indictment send Congress off the rails and derail hope for a debt ceiling deal? The money angle to this story coming up. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. A potential indictment for President Trump by a New York grand jury is looming at this hour. Final witnesses have been testifying about Trump's alleged role with hush money payments to adult movie star Stormy Daniels before the 2016 election. Stating the obvious, an indictment would spark an enormous political uproar. But another major risk from this, derailing Congress from solving serious, pressing economic problems, 
such as avoiding a U.S. debt default or the bank crisis shaking our financial system. Let's talk about the money angle to this story with our panel, including former acting chief of staff for President Trump, Mick Mulvaney. Vivek Ramaswamy is back with us as well. And we are also joined tonight by Simone Sanders Townsend, former senior advisor and chief spokesperson of Vice President Kamala Harris and host of Simone on MSNBC. Thank you all very much for joining us. Um, Mick, I'm going to start with you. I mean, listen, obviously, the, there, there are other channels that are going to do the political stuff, uh, both sides all day long, 24-7. We know that. Why well, I want to talk about the money angle and, and Congress specifically. Trump is likely to get indicted. If so, is it going to enrage the House GOP enough that nothing our viewers may need to get done gets done? Uh, here's the good news. It's not going to be any worse than it already is. Um, That's so if good he gets news. arrested, yeah, <laughs> if he gets arrested, he gets indicted. I don't think it, it, it impacts the ability to, 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 to raise the debt ceiling, to, to fund the government. If we have to go into the banking industry to do some uh, sort of legislation, if things take a turn for the worse, I don't think that a Trump indictment makes that any worse. That being said, it's going to be really difficult to do anyway. Um, but I don't think Trump changes it because this, the people who would be the most likely to be the most upset about Trump getting charged with this, the folks who would probably be the most difficult to work with anyway. Simone, I mean, your take, your guess probably have a very different point of view. Well, yeah, I don't know if it uh, look, the debt ceiling has got to get raised. Uh, the United States government cannot uh, default here. There are financial the global implications for that happening. And I think Democrats and Republicans in the House of Representatives and the Senate, for that matter, understand that. I believe the president understands that. It's just a question of how uh, do they get there? It's a, not a question of if. I think it's a question of how. But I, I, so I don't think that it changes that. I, I, again, the banking crisis, uh, what is what regulations are not are going to be put in place? Will there be an independent probe of the Fed here? Uh, are people going to listen to what Elizabeth Warren is saying about Jerome Powell? All of those things are going to continue to happen. On top of that, though, I think we are going to see um, somewhat of a political circus, if you will. You already have uh, folks like uh, Jim Jordan, Congressman Jordan, uh, asking for documents from Alan Bragg, the district attorney in the Southern District of New York, saying they want Alan Bragg to explain what laws they believe that, uh, yeah. you know, the former president broke. So I think that it's going to be a political circus. And those are the things that the American people do not like to see. Uh, no, Republicans especially... didn't run on a political circus in the midterm elections. They ran on some other things. But it seems like we keep coming back to the circus. Well, and the, that's prob the problem, Vivek, is, too, is the circus is in town while part of the town is on fire. Right. There's the banking <laughs> crisis that's going on. You've got the debt ceiling thing that Simone talked about. There's some real money stuff that the CNBC angle to this story is that there's a lot of stuff that's happening. The Fed's raising rates. Consumers are starting to get a little bit pinched. And now this. Well, look, I think a lot of the people that will be hit economically right now are among the very people who are also disaffected from the system in a way that I think it's going to be a national disaster. You mark my words, if Trump is indicted. Why? I think there's no doubt it is a politicized prosecution. That's my opinion. I've been very vocal about this. But I think that if you see politics now, we not just infect the market, which we were just talking about, but now actually politics infecting even the decisions of who gets charged versus not. And to be clear, if this had been anybody else for a ministerial campaign finance violation, it would have been charged at a misdemeanor at most. 
I think that will undermine public trust across the board. Yes, public trust in the political system, public trust in our elections, public trust in the justice system, but even public trust in our economy and every one of our institutions. And I do Look, not want I to see us heading on this path to a national divorce. Yet I think that's actually going to be a giant leap towards a national divorce if this happens. Okay, no one's, I don't think anybody's having a national divorce, but I think that we have to remember, um, Donald, what is happening to the former president of the United States of America is not happening in a vacuum. Like, there is precedent. I think the apples to apples comparison is um, Senator John Edwards in 2008. Folks may, may have forgotten. I was a freshman in college during that time, but I was reading the news. And that was the case where John Edwards uh, seemed to have asked two supporters to put up nearly a million dollars to cover up for the affair that he had. He was indicted for that. Now, the jury was hung in that case, and the Department of Justice ended up dropping those charges. But there was no one during that time that would argue that that was a political, if you will, prosecution. It was a violation of campaign finance law. They indicted him, and the court, of, just, the court of the peers couldn't come to a consensus. So, Simone, let me just, let me just jump in on that, because I want to be principled here. I think that is a disaster <laughs> to actually go after a political figure with motivations that were not entirely based on just the rule of law. And to see an acquittal on the back of that, that is something to be ashamed of. But this is that on steroids. Okay, this is long after John Edwards was a vice presidential candidate, not trying to disqualify him or John Kerry. Uh, I, had, Vivek and Zimmer, I had the, the under on my John Edwards references card tonight. So let, I'm going <laughs> to save that for Simone's show and Vivek stuff as well. This is CNBC. But Mick, last time I checked, we also are like, a million bullets were sent to Ukraine today from NATO. Yes. Po Poland is now supplying fighter jets. You've got Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin meeting today in Moscow. The world is a scary place right now, but this is what we're going to be talking about, right? Yeah, the, the former the, guy the, maybe getting arrested. The, the Trump story, because it's Trump and because he just drives so much energy when it comes to the media, is probably at best the number three story of the week. Um, she being in Ukraine, uh, being in Russia is probably number one. The Fed meeting on Wednesday is probably number two. And Trump is a distant third in terms of not only what people who watch this network care about, but what, in terms of what makes America go, what makes America work. Listen, if the Chinese cut a deal to, to supply arms to the, to the Russians, this war could drag out for years. Think about the impact that has on the European economies, on our own economy. Mm -hmm. I was in Europe Energy just last security. week. Then uh, they're, they're they're practically begging for the thing to be over before next winter. So uh, Ukraine is a much bigger story. She is a much bigger story. If the Fed raises interest rates 25 percent this week, that's probably OK. If they don't raise, that's what not a lot of people are talking about. If they don't raise this week, what does that tell me? I don't know much about banking. I know something about Washington, D.C. If the Fed doesn't raise rates at all on Wednesday, it means the banking system is a lot worse than they're letting on right now. Those stories Can I just should say, be driving I agree the news, with Mick Mulvaney. Here, look. If the Fed does choose not to raise rates, that means that they are very concerned right. about the Silicon Valley bank collapse and the effect that it is having on the baking industry writ large. Which means that That's consumers, right. regular folks across the country, are concerned. Which means that are people going to start pulling their money out of these regional banks? Are we moving to a place where bigger banks are buying up regional banks and then no one can hold Wells Fargo accountable but or Simone, any other bank if they treat people poorly? First so off, I do think that all of these stories, though.
can exist together. Folks got to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time here. And that's what we are experiencing given this. New well, cycle. you know what? First, you know what I love is the fact that we're existing together. Look at this. Three different opinions. It's yeah. polite. <laughs> it's nice. People are smiling. It's like we're not screaming at each other. It's just like we're setting a new record in television for kindness. And I, and I love that, Simone. Yeah, but, but I, I don't know, know Vivek well on. enough to blow kisses. So that's it. Not this well, time. I, that, I'll I'll be that, but hold I'll, on, Vivek. I'll get you in just a second. I want to follow up with Simone. Because I do think there's an element. It's it's a little bit weird. I'm not I'm not the biggest con, sort of compliment I get is people are like I can't forget your politics, right? Because if you don't have any politics, they, they can't sort of figure them out. And I do I do wonder, Simone, if it's like this. We're sort of cheering on big banks now on on sort of the the progressive side. When did like big banks become like a good thing? I do worry that the consumer, the 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 the, the 580 credit score blue-collar worker struggling to put food on the table is going to be the one that gets crushed by this banking crisis because credit always tightens at the bottom first. Well, absolutely, and let's just be clear. When we talk about blue-collar, there are people of color who are blue-collar workers here as well. Uh, and I say that because uh, Vivek made the point that uh, folks who are disaffected by a number of these other things going on are also, many of those people are disaffected by this Trump news. And there are a range of individuals in this country who are not just what, um, you know, some of my political friends would call white working-class voters that the banking news um, uh, definitely affects. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know if I agree with your um, cheering on the big banks from uh, progressives perspectives. What I have heard from folks and I had Maxine Waters on my show this weekend that talked about her concern for uh, regional banks going away that they do not want a uh, number of uh, legislatures, a uh, number of Democrats yeah. and Republicans, frankly, yeah. do not want the big banks to buy up all of these little banks because Who's going to hold the big banks Ma Maxine, accountable? Maxine so like, Waters yeah. is the congresswoman from the place of my birth and was my mother's first manager at AT&T. How about that little <laughs> trivia? And I can, tell you, I can tell you this much, Vivek, what, what L.A., Gardena, and that area does not want, what they don't want is all the small banks to go away, and then everything is run by, you know, some gigano bank corporation. I can name a few. And so the, to, to Simone's point, the person of color going in, you know, who's just looking for a break on a house or a first car or whatever it might be, they're going to be like, nope. Because all the risk got tightened up and they don't know the family and banking just becomes more and more digital and banking should be in many ways an in-person trust business. I sounded really old just then. No, that's all right. I, I like you bringing up back some classical values. And the only thing I would add is I don't care what color that person is. I think there's, there's truth to what you guys just said. Here's the dirty little secret behind this little story, though, OK? is actually the fact that we're paying this much attention to the FOMC meeting, to the Federal Reserve at all, when in fact the Federal Reserve has actually been the source of this disaster for the last 25 years, when they expanded their mandate to try to play this game of financial God, managing both inflation and unemployment, mm. it's like trying to hit two targets with one arrow. It has been a disastrous 25-year experiment. What the Fed used to do in the 80s and even early 90s was actually focus on stabilizing the dollar. And I think this is the under-discussed story in the whole thing. They're the root cause of this whole thing. Yet here we are hanging on to their words, not because they have any special wisdom, remember that. It's just a question of market participants looking at how much more damage they yeah. possibly are actually going to do. So wait, are do. you talking about getting That's rid of the, the Federal Reserve? The Fed. <laughs> I, I, I'm absolutely no, I blaming the Federal Reserve. Hold, hold, yeah, the whoa, Federal Reserve. Whoa, hold on, don't. Vivek, 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 I love it. I'm happy to have you guys all back on. That's a totally different show. We do not have time for that tonight, but we'll get you back on to talk about it. Homework. Everybody goes home and reads The Creature from Jekyll Island. And then we'll read that, and then we'll come back, and then we'll have this sort of 
Great discussion. Really okay. appreciate it. Mick, Vivek, Simone. Great conversation. Really appreciate it. Be well. All right. Okay, so who is Is it the Fed? Is it Goldman Sachs? Coming up, the Democratic congressman demanding an investigation into Goldman's role with the SVB collapse. He's here. Congressman Adam Schiff, next. All right, more fallout from Silicon Valley Bank, and this time Goldman Sachs is in focus. A group of California lawmakers led by Congressman Adam Schiff writing a letter to the Justice Department, the FDIC, and the SEC asking about Goldman's role in the collapse of SBB. The letter calls into question reports of a $100 million payout after Goldman bought over $21 billion of SVB's debt. Congressman Schiff writing in the letter, quote, as the White House considers taking administrative action supporting legislation to claw back bonuses and compensation, we urge you to examine Goldman Sachs' receipt of over $100 million and whether it should likewise be reclaimed on behalf of depositors. Now, we reached out to Goldman Sachs. They have not provided CNBC with a comment as of yet. Joining us now is California Congressman and House Judiciary Committee Senior Member Adam Schiff. Congressman, all right, so the $100 million, I will say this. I have some sources that suggested it is less. It was 26 basis points on 2.1 billion, and so do the math. Whether the number was 100 million, 25 million, or 200 million, would it matter to you? Uh, No, it shouldn't matter. I think there's a fiduciary obligation to make sure that any transaction involving SVB in light of its collapse uh, is one that is at arm's length and appropriate. Uh, And if not, the money should go back to depositors. Uh, Look, I think it's quite clear that we had a massive failure of management at SVB, that we had a significant failure of the regulators and oversight, uh, particularly as information has now come out, that they were aware of problems at SVB that didn't go addressed. Uh, But with respect to any other financial institution that was involved uh, in the purchase of assets of SVB, I think we have to examine it, make sure that we're looking out for depositors and taxpayers uh, and make sure that any transaction yeah. was at arm's length. If it was, it was. If it wasn't, that money should be clawed back. How, how far along the lines are you? Is there anything you can share with our viewers and listeners about sort of what you may have found under the hood? Well, you know, we really are, are reliant on SEC and FDIC and Treasury or Justice uh, to look into these matters and examine that we don't have assets, we don't have access, that is, uh, to the, the data. And we certainly don't know in terms of the discussions between SVB and Goldman or any other institution, uh, whether uh, the, the purchase of assets and the consultation that was going on si- simultaneously was arm's length or not. We're not in a position to evaluate that. Uh, you know, what I think we are in a position to evaluate is, uh, you know, the, the negligent behavior of the bank executives the impact it had on uh, small businesses, on people that use the bank for payroll, uh, the the contagious mm-hmm. effect it's had on other institutions, uh, and the, what I think is a massive uh, oversight regulatory problem uh, that uh, failed to do anything even when the problem had been discovered. But we okay, if there's there's a lot here, Congress. We could probably go on for an hour on this. We obviously know that Silicon Valley Bank's management is going to be culpable. We expect in some form or fashion. We'll get to that in a moment. But going back to Goldman Sachs, do you believe, and and I brought this up eight days ago on our Sunday night special with with Gary Cohn, former president of Goldman Sachs. Did Goldman Sachs is the one, are you focusing on the potential mistake of sort of tipping the hat that SVB 
may or may not have been in trouble or not spending enough time in finding other bidders or potential buyers of the securities, private equity, whatever, to come in? I think that needs to be examined. Uh, I'm, I'm not in a position to draw any conclusions, and I haven't. Uh, but what I have done is advocate, along with my California colleagues, to make sure that we make sure that, that we incentivize the right kind of management uh, and oversight practices, and we disincentivize executives from taking excessive risk with their depositors' monies, as SVB did. Uh, now, if if Goldman was operating at an arm's length. Uh, and was able to purchase assets at the same time it was advising the bank, then that's what they were doing. But if they weren't, then we need to find out. Uh, and the only way I think that can be done is by talking to those that were involved in the transaction and find out uh, whether these two units working on these two different uh, uh, challenges for SVB were operating in unison or operating at arm's length. Uh, but I, I think that we ought to look at this whole transaction Basically, from start to finish, anyone yeah. that was involved in the handling of SVB or its assets to make sure that we're being diligent on behalf of taxpayers and depositors. Goldman Sachs, let's let's be honest, Congressman, I think you would agree to this, is a very easy political target. They were once famously called the vampire squid, and for good reason. I think I heard somewhere that Goldman has more negative press than every other bank combined, usually at a given at a given time. Will that distract us, though, from going after Silicon Valley Bank and maybe the failure of other regulators, Silvergate Capital? These are California. These are California companies, Congressman, as you are aware. Something happened. Three of the potential four that may fail if FRC First Republic goes down are California based. Um, it can't uh, distract us in any way. We have to be able to do both, uh, examine any kind of transactions to see if they're appropriate. Uh, at the same time, we need to give the most rigorous scrutiny to the behavior of the SVB's management, uh, the bonuses that were paid, the stock purchases that were made in the run-up to the bank's failure, and claw that money back, uh, as well as at other institutions, uh, millions and in other bonuses paid or other stock transactions. All of that needs to be clawed back. And particularly, this is particularly important, I think, because uh, FDIC has come in and agreed to make the depositors whole, even those that uh, had amounts over 250, because in the absence of vigorous action to claw back this money, yeah. then we're going to encourage bank management in the future to take excessive risks with their depositors' money, thinking they too will get the same kind of treatment from FDIC. So the we need to create the right incentives here. We need to yeah. examine all of those involved in this transaction. 2009, 2010 doesn't seem that long ago. I will say this caution with that $100 million number, Congressman. I can say my sources say that it might be less, about half that. But we will find out. Maybe you will, and you can let us know. Congressman Adam Schiff, appreciate it. Thank you. All right, meantime, in banks, J.P. Morgan Chase responding right now to a judge's ruling of lawsuits alleging the bank had ties to Jeffrey Epstein and allowing that to proceed. Steve Kovac with the breaking news now. Yeah, Brian. So we've been covering this story most of the evening here on CNBC. And initially, J.P. Morgan did not have a response. But here's what they're telling us now. A spokesperson tells us, quote, the U.S. Virgin Islands statements are baseless. Our CEO, that's Jamie Dimon, has no recollection of reviewing his accounts or even having a conversation about this. It's irresponsible for CNBC to report their lawyers unsubstantiated arguments as facts. Saying something out loud does not make it true. End quote, Brian. Steve Kovac, wow. That'll be a top story tomorrow morning. We'll sure be right will. back after this.
All right, before we go, over the weekend, I posted on Twitter about a $13 sandwich I purchased from a national chain. Took a picture of it, whatever. It got a lot of attention, not always in the good way. Here's the big reveal. The sandwich is from a Panera Bread in suburban New Jersey. It wasn't at Disneyland. It wasn't in New York City. It was in suburban New Jersey. To be fair, it did come with a small bag of chips. Now, I was trying to kind of be funny, but it got parts of the Twitterverse a little bit jumpy. Hunter Knight responded and wrote that even posting this was a, quote, self-own. After all, I bought it. Well, Hunter, I disagree. All right, I made trying to make a point. It's the current reality facing many Americans in this country. Yeah, I was annoyed by the cost, but a lot of folks out there actually do struggle to pay for food and put it on the table these days. So if my sandwich wasn't crazy enough, we asked all of you to send us maybe some of the one of the more expensive things you've bought recently and say that, you know, it was a little bit disappointing. Susan Bernstein sent in a picture of her $3.50 Coke from the Atlanta airport. Now, Susan, you were at the airport. Okay, Tartag showed us a receipt for a meal from a family of four, 154 bucks in San Francisco, and that was only one beer. Folks, keep this coming in. Inflation, food inflation, it is real, and that was chicken. We'll see you tomorrow night on Last Call. Shark Tank is next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.